Hey everyone, welcome to Rooted in Logos. This is Brad here. Wanted to start this episode with a little disclaimer, a couple things. One, bear with us through this episode. If you don't agree with what we're saying, please keep listening. I think there are multiple times in here that we admit how much we don't know and we admit that we don't have this all figured out and that this is not a salvation issue. Secondly, for some reason during the recording of this, my recorder went a little haywire. And so you're going to hear a few spots where it sounds like I've messed up the editing. It is an error in the recording. I lost about maybe 10 or 15 minutes worth of content throughout, just randomly throughout this episode. So unfortunately, there's going to be a few points that we made that I thought were very valid that we just couldn't put on here because it didn't make sense. I'd lose the first half of the point and it would jump in mid-sentence. And I'm not sure what happened. I'm hoping we can get this resolved. So with that in mind, enjoy this episode. This is our second installment in Romans chapter 9. We finished it up. It is a shorter episode. We didn't have as much content. And apparently I lost about 15 minutes worth. So bear with us. Stick with us to the end. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. And we're back. Hey, guys. New day, new episode, episode 40, Rooted in Logos podcast. My name is Brad. I am joined, as always, by my PIC, partner in crime, Austin, the father extraordinaire. Hey, 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 guys. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> oh, man, we're excited. Episode 40. Um, feels like an, a milestone episode. I don't know. Just kind of cool. Almost. 40 episodes. Getting close. We got 10 more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so today we, we're actually, we decided we had a topic in mind, uh, but Tuesday's episode went pretty long and we didn't finish Romans nine. So we decided instead of adding a new topic, jumping back into Romans nine next week, we're just going to go and finish Romans nine today. And we're going to finish the last, uh, half of this passage, continue to dig into what, what this means. But first a heartwarming story out of New Zealand, wild penguin waddles ashore 2,000 miles from Antarctica. On Wednesday, an Adelie, 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 Adelie penguin, I don't know, washed up on the courts, on the coast of New Zealand 2,000 miles from its native home oh, in yeah, Antarctica. It's uh, one of those Adelie. <laughs> it's one of those Adelie penguins. Yeah. The rare visitor was spotted by resident Harry Singh just south of Christ Church in Birdlings Flat on the southern island. A video captured by Singh shows the penguin wandering around on the beach. No physical injury, but it was tired and hungry. What's How? What's what's, what's it's hard because there's a penguin. Penguins are cute. Was it saved or did the like? Eat penguin's it? fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. The penguin's okay. He survived. Um, just we don't know. We don't know why he was in New Zealand. Why he's so far away from Antarctica? But I just thought it was funny. It's a cute picture here. There's a little. Oh little yeah, penguin. it's one of those little ones, mate. Yeah. Anyway, he's in the, he's in the I just thought it was heartwarming because it's a penguin. Everyone <laughs> likes penguins. They're the like way, little people with tuxedos. Right, and the way they waddle, and the way they mate for life, and take care of their children, yeah. offspring. Yeah. Do what God told them to do. That's cool. <laughs> anyway, that was my little story for this one. It's our icebreaker for the it's rest our of icebreaker. chapter nine. <laughs> Just to lighten the mood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what else we got here? Um, the trial of the century. Not going to get into that. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> oh, the, a judge has ended Britney Spears' conservatorship. No way. Yeah, so she is free. Go, Britney. Go, Britney. Free Britney. Leave Britney alone. Wasn't that that 
viral video years I, back. I don't remember. I don't even know, dude. I've, I've heard I don't know anything about that story. I, don't I just know saw the headline. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where we are. Brittany is free, and penguins are showing up in New Zealand. What, what is a, this world? What to? a time to be alive! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, let's uh, jump back into Romans nine. We left off, we read verse 19, talked about it a little bit, but let's just start back at verse 19, finish out the chapter. I'm going to real quick just read verse 19 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll start talking about it. Uh, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there God, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we then say? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That is the second half of Romans 9. So let's just jump back up. We, we discussed it very briefly. We talked about how this, for me at least, reminds me of Job. Yeah. Who are you? Why are you questioning God? Oh, you small, puny human. <laughs> yeah, so, and so Job chapter 38. Um, I'll just read a little bit of it. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy... And he just goes on. Yeah. He goes on. So, yeah, that it reminds me of Job 2. Who are you, O man? To answer back to God. So, let's look at verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? I look at, I don't know, just in my own goofy way of turning this into an analogy, another one, you know, uh, you make one cup for, for uh, a nice glass of sweet tea. And you make another cup that is specifically for drug tests. <laughs> Somewhat yeah. dishonorable use, right? Or take that step further yeah. of, yeah, you okay, taking it back historically further, 
you're making your your mugs for ale, you're making your mugs for drinks, but yet you make a spittoon. What is a spittoon for? Well, right. They didn't have bathrooms back then, so that is what that pot was used for. Right. And that was all that it was used for. So it was for a dishonorable use, but it was needed. Why? Well, you can't, you shouldn't use. (laughs) (laughs) So just willy-nilly go wherever you please. Right. Well, and (laughs) you should not use the same mug that you're drinking or eating out of for the same use that you're using the spittoon for. Right. And I, it's that basic same concept. Now, again, this is a hard one because who are we talking about? We are talking about one clay. We are the clay. God is the potter. He is the one forming us and turning turning us into whatever he wants us to be. So and we fight him at every turn, by yeah, the way. We and we're we're doing at that every turn. Oh man, to answer back to God, who are we? And we're doing that. We're answering back to him saying, Why am I this way? I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be a cup. I want to be a a pot. I don't want to be a pot. I want to be a mug. Like, well, it's n- not your choice. God's going to turn you into what he wants you to be. But, but on that other side of the ones that are for honorable use and others for dishonorable use. Honorable use being the ones that give glory to God. And they're following God and they're doing what God wants them to do. Versus the dishonorable use being the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going oh, back Judas. to verse 17. Yeah, yeah, Judas for this very purpose, I have raised you up. So God has raised Pharaoh up to do this. Judas, the whole time it, it says through scripture, um, through the gospels, Jesus knew who Judas was. Jesus knew exactly what Judas was going to do and when he was going to do it. Right. But he kept kept going on the same way. I, again, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, that is for God. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, if, if I knew that you, Austin, were going to one day betray me and stab me in the back and steal all the equipment and go make millions doing a podcast, I feel like at some point I'd probably try and stop you, right? <laughs> like, if that I knew sense. that was going to happen, I'd probably try and stop you. But that's not what Jesus did. That's not what the plan was. That wasn't what needed to happen. What yeah. had to happen. Not even what needed to happen. What had to happen. Well, and, and it all goes back to, so chapter 8, verse 28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work out for good. God is making everything work out for good. Not our good, but for the good of his will. The end of it all. It's all being worked out by whatever God wants it to be. Right. And again, that is, I believe, too big for our puny minds to understand. Well, and and it... It, we run the risk when we dive into this. We run the risk of becoming apathetic mm-hmm. and and not fighting. You know, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about some of the issues going on in our country, some of the issues going on within our schools, specifically our schools, because I think the fight right now we need to be fighting is for our kids. Yes. And there's a danger here for you and I and, and those who fall kind of on this line of of the way we interpret God's sovereignty in this passage. There's a danger that we just become apathetic and we say, well, God's going to work it all out mm. in the end, yeah. and we don't have to do anything about it. And that's By not, no means. By no means. That's not yeah. what this is. I mean, we are still called to fight. We're still called to stand up for what is right, still called to be a witness, to be a light, to be an example. And God wants us to fight. You know, there, there are, and again, we talked about that circle last week of like, there are passages that talk about this, passages that talk about that, and how do we reconcile these? 
and and it's hard. There are passages that talk that show God changing his mind because of the prayers of his people. So you look at a place like Sodom and Gomorrah, where you know God is is telling uh, Abram, Abraham, Abraham at that point. Yeah. yeah, he's telling Abraham, "Hey, you find X amount of people here that are faithful, I'll spare the city." Yeah, giving Abraham the opportunity to, to say spare the city. Now, of course, we know ultimately the city was destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Yeah. But we have some precedent in scripture of God saying, I will I will relent my wrath because of your prayers and because of your obedience. So we need to be doing that. We need to be obeying. We need to be praying. We need to be taking the fight to the streets and saying, hey, no, 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 we're going to stand up for truth. Yeah. Well, and again, going back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Christ says, go out and therefore make disciples of all nations. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. You have to go do that. Why? Because, okay, if you're on that side of chosen, those who are chosen, you don't know who they are. So go forth and talk to literally everybody. Uh, Looking at Old Testament, when David was being pursued by Saul, uh, David and his men were in a certain city or near a certain city, and they were encamped. And they got, he got news that Saul was coming. And so David went before the Lord and, and he asked, hey, if me and my men stay here, are we going to be overthrown? Or are the people of this city going to give us up to Saul? <laughs> and God just comes back and says, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, okay. Um, okay, if I leave, are we going to be given into the hands of Saul? And God's like, uh, nope. No, you're good. If you leave, you'll be fine. And so it's that thought, okay, if David never said anything, would God have let David and his men be captured and probably killed? Or did God predestine that David was going to come to God and ask him so that God would let them escape? So because you look at if, just to kind of play this out logically here, if David hadn't, talked to God, and he had stayed there, David probably would have been killed, and the whole Davidic line to the Messiah that was necessary for Christ to fulfill the prophecies would have been broken right there. The redemption story would have been broken right there, because Jesus, based on the based on the prophecies, based on Scripture, had to be of a Davidic line. Right. And if there was no David, there would be no Davidic line. If there was no Judas, there would be, and Judas didn't do what Judas did, there would Probably not have been a crucifixion. Right. Wouldn't have been an arrest. Wouldn't have been the death that saved us from our sin. It had to work out the way it worked out. Right. Now, the argument on the other side would say, well, if Judas had chosen not to do that, someone else would have. Right? It, the plan still would have taken place because someone else would have chosen. Well, you can't logically say... That doesn't track logically, right. I don't think. Because... And, and again, it goes back to, do we honestly know... I mean, looking at Judas, it says Jesus knew that Judas was going to do it. Right. It it says that. I I don't know. I don't know. And honestly, it's not my job to know. That will be something that when we get to heaven, I believe it will be shown to us. But that is not a salvation issue that you believe that Judas was meant for destruction or not. I know. And again, I don't know. I don't know. That's between Judas and God. (laughs) Yeah. Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, 
has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, for which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So for me, when I read this, I, I again, my own, probably my own human understanding, I don't even think Paul knows. As in, okay, he says, what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He's not saying God did do this. He's saying what if, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end, uh, verse 24, it's it's a question. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? That's a question. Right. And so I I, I don't even think Paul knew. I, I don't think he knew, which goes back to the if God did not allow Paul to truly know this, I don't think we're meant to know it either. Right. Um, That's an interesting take that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. You know what? If I'm being honest with you, I'm not sure I even noticed this was a really long question. It's a, it's a long question. It's a really long question. Because normally I'm, I try to be really uh, conscious of the inflection of my voice when I see a question mark. I try to make sure I ask it as a question. Yeah. Right? I didn't do that there because <laughs> it's such a long question long sentence it's a it's a three verse question yeah so very interesting take that and i could I be find, wrong right no but i don't I, yeah and i think if you read commentaries and you read different things they might say you're wrong because yeah. I, i'm reading one here that says you know god does not create people only to condemn them right right and if you read this john MacArthur commentary or this commentary from from the esv the exposit- expository commentary yeah they're going to say, no, 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 God does create people with the intent of them, you know, being condemned. Right. And But I don't know. I think you're right. I think Paul's like, well, what if? Well, and that's it. It's he that's I see it as Paul saying, I, I don't actually know because that's something God hasn't allowed me to know. And it's like looking through scripture, looking at these people like Pharaoh, you know, is it that question? Oh, well, if. If Pharaoh had just truly listened to Moses, would he have said, yeah, you're right, Moses? I don't think so, because God purposefully hardened his heart. Right. And again, but I don't know. Looking back to Lucifer, when he was in heaven, he was back in Ezekiel, I think, 28. He's referenced as having something to do with the choir in heaven. Did God make Lucifer to be thrown out of heaven? No idea. (laughs) I, I, yeah. And those who, and honestly, for those who tell you they know, uh, I, I don't think they do. I really right. don't. Because that is so far beyond us that we can't, we cannot understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. So, yeah. Verse 25, he goes into uh, a couple chapters out of Hosea. As indeed he says in Hosea, chapter 2, verse 23, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Hosea chapter 1 verse 10. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So, and I know Austin is going to read Hosea just for some context here in a second, but I, I want to point out too in this where Paul is quoting here, he is essentially telling the Jews that he's talking to that Gentiles are, are in the family at this point. And that God's word is true, that through Abraham, all nations will be blessed, not just ethnic Jews. He's trying to combat some of the racial superiority that the Jews are 
kind of claiming the ethnic superiority, right? And Abraham was an uncircumcised Gentile. Yeah, yeah. Before he was called by God. Yep. And chosen by God. How do you reconcile that if you believe in ethnic superiority? And so I think coupled with this idea of, you know, some some chosen for wrath, some chosen for for glory, he's showing, hey, it's not just the Jews that are involved in this, it's the Gentiles as well. Yeah. That's well, what he's talking about in Hosea, by quoting Hosea. Yeah. And looking at all of Israel as a whole, looking at them coming out of Egypt, and that whole first generation died. I mean, look how many were swallowed up by the earth. Look how many were killed by the snakes. How many just, they were not allowed to enter the promised land, so they died. I mean, Moses himself was not allowed to Mm -hmm. enter. The generation that followed were. Looking throughout all of the Old Testament, every single time Israel was taken over by it, another kingdom. Look how many people died. And then look how many remained, the remnant. As as we read further on, we'll, we'll kind of get into it a little bit more, but how many of those Israelites went to heaven? I, the, the answer, I don't know. Right. But um, accord, according to the rest of the chapter, you know, those living by the law versus those actually living by faith is big. Hosea being the prophet that God goes to and says, um, I want you to go out and find a wife, but not just any wife. <laughs> I want you to go find a, a whore. I want you to go find a promiscuous woman. Yep. And so he does. He, he obeys and he does that. And so Hosea chapter two, verse 23, those who were not my people, I will call my people and her who was not beloved. I will call beloved. So back in Hosea, that is, I'll read uh, the verse before and the verse after. It says, And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now, when he says, I will say to not my people. That is the name Jezreel. That is the name that God told Hosea to name one of his children. Because Israel, were they were doing awful things. Mm-hmm. They were doing awful things. Um, and actually, so at the beginning of Hosea, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So this was before they were actually taken over by any any other kingdom in Jerusalem. They, they had two different kingdoms going on. So the Israel people were doing ungodly evil things. And that is why God told Hosea to do this. Well, it, it shows, it, it's almost a foreshadowing of Christ pursuing us. We are doing unspeakable things. We are doing terrible things. We are, we are a horror for the world, right? And and we are not living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Yet he pursues us, he chooses us, and he calls us. Yeah, and that's he is. There's a, a line in the song. Um, a guy named Derek Webb. Before he went a little out there, it's it's a song he wrote from Christ's perspective, talking about the church, talking about his bride. And he says, I have long pursued her as a harlot and a whore. 
Whereas we are not faithful to God on our own, but he still pursues us. And I think that's the imagery that we're bringing up here too of Jews and Gentiles. We're not faithful to God. Jews and Gentiles alike are not faithful to God. They are unfaithful. Yet he calls us, chooses us, and saves us. Yeah. So the second part is Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. So where they were called not my people. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. But continuing verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, where that was the name, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. This is God being sovereign. This is God, again, going back to what Paul says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. It is my will, not yours. And we don't understand. (laughs) We don't. So, moving on to 27, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as the and as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we sh- would have become... Man, I, for some reason I can't read this verse. <laughs> Why don't you read verse 29 for me? Because apparently I have a mental block against it. Oh, correct. Now he put me on the spot. Uh... <laughs> And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Now, I think a lot of people look at this in, okay, context, going back to Isaiah, what was Isaiah talking about? They they were taken over. They were overrun by another kingdom, and and a lot of people, they, they, again, I look at it as they take it out of context, as in taking it out of context of what Paul was trying to get across. Mm. Yeah, you look back at what Isaiah had, and it was, yes, there was only a remnant of them that survived right then. Which, there was only a remnant of them that survived every single time they were taken over. But Paul is using this specifically for this. He is talking about what is to come. He's talking about Israel as a whole. As basically, hey, just because you are of Israel... It does not mean you're you're secure, right. and it's there is only going to be a remnant of you left, of us. Again, going back to what he says in the beginning, my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites. That's him pleading with them, saying, "I'm I am one of you. I am part of the nation of Israel, but there is only going to be a remnant." Right. It's like yeah. So let's look at. I want to look at verse twenty nine. I'm just going to read. Not my words. I'm going to read out of the uh, expository commentary. I don't even know who gets credit for authoring this commentary, to be honest with you. It's it's a... Oh, Romans is Robert W. Yarball. That's who wrote the Romans portion of this. <laughs> so, I don't know who that is. <laughs> might look him up. I might have to. So, read verse 29 again, without messing up. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Paul continues the argument based on scripture that the gospel outpouring he has witnessed and furthered and wishes to extend to Spain, which we see in in chapter 15, is not a betrayal of God's word, but a glorious and necessary fulfillment of it. Now, Isaiah 1.9 is pressed into service. 
Isaiah famously opens with a shocking vision of God's own people in rebellion against him. That's verse, chapter 1, verse 2. They're full of corruption, verse 4, and ripe for judgment, verses 7 through 8. In quoting Isaiah 1.9, Paul is implying two things about Jewish opposition to the gospel message that, that is Gentile inclusive. That opposition is, one, analogous to the spiritual decadence and deadness that Isaiah decried in his own day. It is also, two, fulfilled in Paul's time by Jewish teaching and practice that opposes the gospel Paul and other early church leaders proclaim. Prior to Paul, John the Baptist declared that his whole generation of Jews needed to repent and find a fresh start. Next, Jesus implied that few Jews hearing his message would receive it and be saved. Following these precedents, Paul states that a reset of God's redemptive work through the Abrahamic heritage is direly needed, for Jewish teaching and practice had in too many quarters become as aberrant as the lives of those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. Paul explains, Gentile acceptance by God and Jewish unwillingness to accept God's saving message and work in Christ in the remaining verses of this chapter. But he is pleading, like you said in, in the first part of this chapter, he is pleading with his fellow Jewish Jewish brothers and sisters, accept the gospel, accept Christ. Don't think that you are this you have this ethnic superiority. Don't think that Christ is not the promised Messiah that Isaiah spoke of. That is promised throughout the entire Old Testament. Yeah. That the whole Old Testament is leading up to. That is Christ is that person and accept him. It is needed. You you need to break away from this law being your salvation because it can't. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. Uh, again, where my mind went reading this, Emily and I talking about it as a generational thing. So, if the Lord of Hosts had not left us offspring, offspring as in children, uh, the next generation, uh, look at the Israelites that came out of Egypt. Um, everything that they went through, the slavery, the the building of the pyramids, everything that happened there, what they had to go through. And then they went out in the, the wilderness. This next generation is coming up. Um, they didn't go, every, go through everything that their parents did, that their grandparents did, but they saw it. And they went through the wilderness. They saw everything that God did for them. Their parent was able to go into the promised land. And they saw the miracles. They saw the plagues. They saw all this stuff take place. They saw all the battles that God won for them. And they got into the, the promised land. And then they had the next generation coming up under them that did not see those. But they heard of them because of their parents saying, hey, this is what God did for us. And we see as time goes on, as new generations come, how things get weaker and things are not taught. Right. And as time goes on, these generations don't did no it no longer they no longer saw it, but they no longer hear of what happened. Fast forwarding to Daniel. Daniel it, it said he was like probably between the age of twelve to fourteen when he was captured and brought to Babylon. Him and the other young men, as in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, going through the things that they went through. One looking at Daniel as you do not go into something like this with that much conviction and that much knowledge unless your parents taught you. Right. Or unless you had someone teaching you these things, as, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's almost as if God is preparing these generations for certain things. I get looking at American history. Look at what it took for World War II. Look at the men who went and fought. 
their fathers went, many of them went through World War One. So they heard of the trenches. They heard of these evil, awful things that happened in World War One. They went through the Great Depression all the way up to World War Two. And it's like God created this generation to handle this thing. Right. And looking at our generation now and just how debased and anti-God it is. And I'm like, all right, what is next? Right. And it's kind of terrifying to think because we're we're we have this peacetime that we're 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 able to do this. Daniel had that peacetime with his parents or whoever was teaching him up to 12 to 14, however old he was. And we have to have that same mentality of, okay, we're in this peacetime. We need to prepare and get ready for when that happens. Right. Not knowing what it is, but, and again, kind of rabbit trail, but that's where my mind went. Because if we don't, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And we, we still might. Right. So just, I don't know, just a thought. We have lost as a church, at least in the West, I think, um, we have lost our ability to think critically about Scripture and to think critically about our faith. Yes. And why that's dangerous and why it's so dangerous to be focused on emotions. When you graduate high school and your whole youth group has been focused on emotions and focused on don't have sex, don't do drugs, and you get into college and you start hearing these professors who have PhDs and are really smart and they're just ripping your faith to shreds. You don't have a way to stand up against that. Yep. And your faith will then be ripped to shreds and you will be given to that debased mind. And you think, you know what? It's worth, it's worthless. I'm not, I don't need to worry about this faith anymore. I'm going to go live as I please eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow. We die. You might as well. And we have lost the ability to think critically and to think logically. And we are turning into Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. In the state. I really believe that here in the United States, we are turning. There are remnants of those of us who are not. They're fighting it. There are states that are fighting it, tooth and nail. But the fact that we have to fight this hard to keep boys out of girls' bathrooms mm-hmm. is astonishing to me. Yeah. Never thought I'd see us get this far, be this far gone. And it's because we have lost, as Christians, our ability to think critically and to think logically and to learn about our faith and to wrestle with these big topics. Yeah. And I think I, that your your rabbit trail led to that for me. <laughs> and I don't know if that necessarily has to do with Romans 9. Right. But that's where I went with what you were saying, is that we, that's why this is so important. That's why it's so important. That's why I think what we're doing is important. Yeah. Because we have to be able to stand up when our faith gets attacked, because it's getting attacked from literally every single angle. And yes, it is being attacked from inside our churches. Yes. We talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about our the music that we're listening to and the singing in our churches, the theology that is behind some of those songs. And I'm just going to say, again, this is a rabbit trail, but our show, we can do what we want. <laughs> one, one thing that I didn't say that my dad brought to my attention and I've started thinking about when we talked about specifically Elevation, and with Stephen Furtick having his name on the the writing, getting credit for a lot of the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Do we then throw out Elevation from our worship catalog? I don't know where I stand fully on that. I'm just full disclosure. I'm not sure I'm there. But it does lead me to question this. If you have someone listening to these songs, they may want to go look at the church, and it's a new, say it's a new believer, and they start listening to Stephen Furtick. They're going to be a new believer still on the milk, and they're going to hear this non-gospel coming out of this guy. 
And then I think, well, well, he he wrote this song. He can't be bad, right? <clears throat> it's a stumbling. stone. And so it's that stumbling stone. We'll talk about stumbling stone here in a second in the last verse of the chapter. It's a, it's something to think about. Yeah, it's something to wrestle with. Well, and it, as Christians, do not be naive to think that Satan is not in church with you. Um, looking back at Job, even though Satan was cast out of heaven in Job chapter one, it says Lucifer walked into heaven. He walked in among the other sons of heaven. He walked in. Yeah. So what do you think? Don't think that Satan can't walk into your church as well. Right. And he's in there. Why? Because he knows what God has said through scripture, and he wants to twist it as much as he can. And make us ineffective. And how better than to do it in church? And especially especially these bigger churches. Right. They are such on a platform, and they are reaching so many hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people. And all it takes is to tweak little things in here and there. Again, it is the subtleties. <clears throat> it is in the subtleties, exactly. Yeah. And and he can do it by causing us to fight over Romans chapter nine. Yep. Let's tie. Let's bring it back. Let's tie let's it back it. in. Bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> he can use Romans chapter nine to cause us to fight with each other. What happens when we're fighting with each other? We're not effective for the kingdom. Exactly. We are useless. We're just sitting here bickering and splitting over these issues that. Honestly, we don't. We're not going to understand, like we've s- said multiple times, fully until the end of until we're until we're perfect. Oh yeah. And so that that's so it's so important to be on guard, think logically, think critically, wrestle with these issues, but also don't let these issues get in the way of your work for Christ. Yes. Don't make don't allow these issues to be a foothold for Satan to be a stumbling block, as as he says here in in uh, verse thirty two, in verse thirty three. Don't let these be a stumbling block to you. Don't let these wait, because that's exactly what Satan wants. He does. He wants us to not only struggle with our faith in God and let it let us have our faith in God be questioned. He wants us to argue with each other and be at each other's throats. When it's wasting time, it, he wants that. us to waste time because he knows he doesn't have much time left. So while we're bickering and arguing about this, he's out there tweaking the little things, getting the ones who are in milk to not. You know, he, let's just go into verse, um, let's just finish up this chapter here real yeah. quick. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Satan, and I think we've discussed this, Satan could use the law to cause us to stumble, Mm -hmm. to think that we have to, that the only way to earn our salvation is through upholding this law, which we can never never obtain. We can't do it. So he uses that and twists that and says, so you're not good enough. Why try? Why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so looking at that, yeah, verse 30 through 33, it's in my Bible, it's labeled as Israel's unbelief. Right. And then, yeah, it's talking about the law versus not. Uh, Righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness. That Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. So, is that, it's that question of, okay, well, do all, again, going back to what he was talking about, um, in uh, verse 8, 
This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So not every Jew is going to heaven. Not not all those who are part of the nation of Israel are going to heaven. Those who followed the law from Moses all the way to Jesus, if they followed the law on the sake of the law, then they did not enter. Versus those who they had faith in verse twenty in verse thirty-two. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So no, no, the, not all Jews are in heaven. Right. But also going based on Christian as well, where he says, Not all those who cry Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. You you will get there and he will say, I never knew you. And that is the that's the emotion. Yeah. That's the emotion based Christianity. That's the shallow Christianity. That's the Christianity that that allows these teachers to say things like Jesus wasn't sinless, or mm. to allow teachers to say things like, Well, he's not gonna change you, he's just gonna show you who you really are supposed to be or or whatever, however he meant however he said it. Yeah. We have to be on guard. And I think that's what this conclusion is here. We have to understand we cannot earn this. We cannot follow the law to a point where he says, okay, you're, you're good enough to come in. It is all by faith. Yeah. It's faith alone. It is his, his work, what he has done for us that allows us to, to come to him. Nothing we do. And I think no matter what side of this you fall on, I think we can all agree that it is by faith alone because of grace alone that we cannot earn this. We don't deserve the grace that he gives us. Yeah. And Paul, throughout this entire chapter is trying to hammer that home to the Jewish people he's talking to. Is that just because you're Jewish and just because you tried to follow the law does not mean you earned this salvation. Right. You didn't earn it. It is by faith. You can't earn it. The law showed you you can't earn it. Yeah. It is because of faith. And that, that faith is open to those who aren't ethnically Jewish as well. Right. Because he tells Abraham, I will make you a father of all nations. All nations will be blessed because of you. Yeah. All nations. Not just the one nation. Right. All nations. And ultimately, these are heavy topics, and we're not going to have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. Yeah. Well, and even just to jump real quick to chapter 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whether you were chosen or you chose God, if you do these things and you believe and you have that life change, you are saved. You will be saved. Period. That's it. Whether we get there because we, we were chosen or we chose him... The end goal is to be in Christ. Mm-hmm. I do think there are some theological ramifications for either belief that we need to wrestle with, dangers and pitfalls in both sides that we need to wrestle with. I'll say it again. The danger on the, the election side is, okay, we, now we don't have to do anything. Now we, no can, means. now we can just sit and just let things happen because they were supposed to happen this way. Make it a tail. Right? <laughs> on the other side yeah. of it? Yeah. I have to do something to earn my salvation. That's that danger. May get a tail. That's man, yeah, by no means. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. You moron. You dummy. <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> both for both sides. Yeah. You dummy. That is not what this is saying. Yeah. So whatever side you fall on, however you interpret these passages, I I I I, I get it. This doesn't divide us. I want to just end with that. This doesn't divide us. We are to be united to win others to Christ, to spread his word, to spread his gospel, and to build the future kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. That's all we got.
So, guys, that's we Romans guys. 9. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening yeah. to episode 40. I think this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, which is fine. We are going to dive into Romans 10 next week and then talk about some obscure stories of Scripture on Thursday. I always enjoy those because mm-hmm. it's just some things that are, you know, a little less talked about. Yeah. yeah. And even little one-off, little, like, three-verse stories that are just yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. So, we're going to dive into those uh, next week again. But until then... Interact with us on social media. If you have our phone numbers or you see us in person, talk to us about these things. Mm-hmm. We'd love to have conversations. Leave us a five star review on 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 Apple. Um, check out all our social medias and and just uh, share the share share us with people. Share, spread the love. Share, spread the love. But anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. We love you all. We're praying for you. Let us know if you need any prayer. We will be back on Tuesday. And in the meantime, stay, stay rooted, San Diego. Golly, man. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can find us on Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogos.com.